Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Michael Beaudry. He is founder and CEO of Herbal Solutions. We're going to talk to him about the work they're doing in cannabis, in distribution, logistics. I always find that these sort of aspects of the industry are fascinating as the cannabis industry, cannabis market grows. You know, it evolves, it gets more complicated, and these businesses, these aspects of the supply chain and kind of logistics of the industry start to become more and more important and honestly, much more and more complicated, you know, and obviously in cannabis, we're even more complicated because of the state by state issues. So, you know, it's it's interesting to see how people, how companies are navigating this and developing new solutions and herbal is one of those. So I'm excited for this conversation with that. Michael, welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks for having me and uh, really appreciate the invite to, to the podcast. Yeah, no, my pleasure to have you on. So let's do background and kind of learn a little bit more about you and kind of the background of Herbal. Give us the story. What was your background? Tell us about the founding of Herbal. What has been the experience of kind of starting this company in cannabis? Tell us the story. Sure, love to. So spent most of my career in supply chain and distribution, Bruce. 
And spanning that was very different, you know, number of industries through the years. I spent about a decade from 99 to 2010. I was with a company called United Natural Foods, also known as UNFI. And they're a publicly traded company since 96. I joined a few years later and they're the leading distributor of organic natural products in the U.S. So we had, as you can imagine, Whole Foods was a really big customer and we had probably 10,000 independent natural food stores we were servicing across the country and and then most supermarkets across the country. So we were a, I'll say in 1999, early 2000s, we were a, a bit of a niche food distributor. Probably in the in the those days we were probably a seven eight hundred million dollar revenue company. I would call us regionally national. We weren't in every state, <laughs> but we were most of the states across the country. And the next ten years really was a tremendous scaling and growth opportunity for the company. We, as I said, we went public in ninety six, so we were well funded. We had a great team, and we really ran across the the country and opened new centers and built out this you know this in, new industry. Frankly, it was. The industry was a couple of decades old, but it was new in the sense that it really was becoming mainstream. So that decade, I was I ran operations for most of the first five years nationally for the company, and I was president from 2005 to 2010. That learning is really where where Herbal was born, at least originally in my head. For five years after UNFI. I was the CEO of a company called Lang Pharma Nutrition, and they were a dietary supplement manufacturer distributor to Food Drug Mass. So I went from servicing the natural and organic channel to Food Drug Mass channel. So Costco and Walmart and Sam's and CVS and Walgreens and Target and all the big, big players. And in the five years of doing that, uh, experiencing high growth in that industry. And I started looking at cannabis in 2014. And, you know, frankly, when I first started looking at it, it was more out of amazement. Um, <laughs> I was the, the kid in high school, you know, probably smoking far too much cannabis and uh, maybe a few dealing a few things here and there as a, as a yeah. <laughs> young, young man. And early stage I was, it was my first job, as I, as I say. So I was fascinated what was happening and, and what I was reading. So in November of 14, I, had, I went to Vegas to the uh, MJ Business Conference. And first aisle, second booth, I, I was already in love with what I was seeing. And frankly, two reasons. One is what I said is my, you know, my affiliation with the cannabis plant since youth. And two was just the correlation between the natural organic channel and what I was seeing. I felt like I went through a time warp and it was 1980 again. I was very fortunate to work with a lot of the founders at UNFI for the first five years I was there. And I really understood the story all the way back to the beginning and how that industry kind of grew and came to be. And what I was looking at was I felt at the time and still feel, frankly, is, is something extremely similar where you had a an industry that was, I'll say, coming out from someplace else. And in the terms of natural organic, we had to train the customer and educate the customer and the consumer you know, to build that industry. And this industry, obviously, there's a lot already known about cannabis, but it was I could see that it was going to make a pivot into, I'll say, a more traditional style industry. Now, that that said, I was also not sure if I was going to participate because I wasn't sure if everyone, including me, would be arrested. So it was a, <laughs> it was a bit of a, a learning journey at first. But in November 14, I, I truly, it was the moment of, I actually came back and told some friends, I said, I don't know, I figured out what I'm going to do the rest of my life and for my business career if this actually is going to turn into something. And November 15, I went back. 
and fell in love again, saw explosive growth in both the size of the show, the participation and attendance, and and the energy, frankly, in the room. And I felt like if I don't do something now, then I'm going to be yeah. behind. And I, uh, that was November of, of 15. I resigned from my job in December. I moved to California in February of 16. And I began what came to be a two-plus year journey of full-time due diligence in California, learning the industry as it sat in that moment, what maybe a business plan would be that how this evolves. And I made a tremendous amount of relationships in the first couple of years. We launched Herbal in August of 18 and started with one facility in Santa Rosa, California. And we began business. And frankly, we jumped into the business, one building, small team, frankly, as a learning, even though myself and several folks around me had tremendous experience in supply chain. This is a very nuanced industry and, and a new industry. And we were learning just like everyone else. And we spent really from then until now building out the business, tremendous amount of learning and, and iterating our business and to service both, you know, the, we really have two customers and it's the brand uh, and our retail customer. So the dispensary is our customer and the, and the brand partners, our customer. So really learning how to best support both uh, has been a, a bit of a journey. And we've built out the business since then where we have today, we have five buildings and three locations and couple of hundred people and 35 trucks. And so we built it into a, you know, a, I'll say the beginnings of something pretty special, a pretty high volume distributor. You know, we're, we're still in one state at the moment, but uh, I think we've, we've spent a lot of time really refining our model in the state of California that we can now take that model in a, in a rinse and repeat type fashion across the country. Yeah. Uh, and just to kind of really explain to folks listening here, kind of how you participate in this industry, who, who is your customer? How, what do sure. they hire you for? What's the scope of your service? Yeah, great question. So a classic distributor model is what we actually have. And a classic distributor okay. model means that we actually have um, a number of brand partners, you know, probably 25 brand partners today. We represent their brand, which means we purchase their brand from them. Uh, mm -hmm. We put that inventory in stock. So we have, you know, probably north of 1500 SKUs at this point. We put that in our, in our warehouses and we create a catalog and we go to the dispensary partners and we sell, you know, we have about 30 people in the sales team throughout the state and we go to retail and sell that catalog and all of our brand partners to our customers. So that's, and then we have a fleet to support it and all the logistics, et cetera, that support all that and all the tech and, you know, et cetera, that, uh, yeah. that helps operate the business. Yeah. So when you say you, you buy inventory from a brand, are you taking an ownership or are you doing it yes. on consignment? How, how yeah. does that work? Ownership. Yeah. So we yeah. actually buy the inventory, house the inventory. We keep, you know, probably on average three to four weeks of inventory on hand based on the demand plan and forecast that, uh, that we've do between us and the brand partner. Um, this way it takes out any bumps in spikes and volumes. Uh, and then typically the brand partners got, you know, a few weeks of inventory. So we feel like we're, we're in a pretty good space on, uh, on execution and keeping that product in stock. Yeah. And how do you choose what brands to represent, to, to provide distribution services for? What's your, uh, is there a, uh, focus that you have, uh, you know, criteria that you look for, what, what's been your strategy? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's, and it's, it's a pretty significant strategy. We really, 
Internally, we call it an, an assortment architecture. And an assortment architecture essentially means that we have a catalog that is represented for each category. Each, each price point is really how we view, view uh-huh. the world in terms of assortment. So when we look at brands across the spectrum for each of those categories and each of those price points, we're trying to put the right brand into the right, into that right category and right price point so that we can then go to retail and have, you know, a really compelling catalog for the retailer. But that's really, you know, and it starts at people. So when we talk about the criteria for for a brand, Bruce, it starts at people for us. Everything does. Um, We're extremely um, focused on our culture as a company and then also for all the folks that we conduct business with. And our brand partner is really, if we look at the team and the capabilities of the team, has have they done this before? Do they have expertise in this particular trying to assess the two of us together, the brand partner plus ourselves, do we feel we can go to market and win in that particular category? Then we look at things like capital. Are they well capitalized? Because, you know, for us to put a tremendous amount of energy in and then have a something that you know, they really weren't sustainable, that's, that's problematic for us. And then we really go down to the nano of what is the product? What is the price? What is the differentiation in the market? How does it compare to other things? How does it compare to our catalog? And how does it fit our architecture strategy within our catalog? So there's a pretty long list of criteria um, of the 25 brands we ish we have today. We've probably not partnered with over 100 at this point. So it's really not a numbers game for us. It's picking the right partners and filling in the right spots in our catalog and leaning in really hard with those brand partners with retail uh, and winning. Yeah. And, and do you, is it, you find one product for a given kind of category price point thing, or do you carry multiple products? Like how exclusive yeah, are, are your typically, kind of slots? Typically multiple. And, and there's a couple of reasons for one of that. One is, you know, you've got a customer preference, right? The, the consumer votes all the time in every, in every industry, right? So yeah. we want that. And the other is we need a little bit of redundancy for if there's any production problems, et cetera, that, uh, that we can withstand any of those. So typically there's a few in each of the categories. There will never be, you know, many in each of the categories unless the category itself is big enough to support that. You know, my, my description would be coming from the food industry. We didn't carry 40 different pasta sauces. We decided in the, in the world of pasta sauces, which ones that were best suited for us in our catalog in the food industry. And it's the same here. If it's a flower brand and it's a, uh, an outdoor flower brand, then we don't need 30 of them, especially if there's not a lot of differentiation, you know, strains of flour, et cetera, can certainly, you know, there might be a reason to have a a brand in that instance where they have particular strains that are really attractive and different, differentiated. Those are the type of reasons we pick up another, but typically we're fairly limited on each category and each price point. Yeah. And in terms of the, I mean, the the world of cannabis products is so multifaceted and so (laughs) multi, you know, there's so many different types of formats and everything. What, is there anything that you, you're not carrying or, or um, give me a sense of what you've kind of focused on and what you don't bother with in terms of, you know, cannabis products in the market today? Sure. I would say the thing that we're probably under skewed on today is topicals and any of those type of products. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at flour, which is a significant portion of the total, in California, yeah. we're well represented on flour, we're well represented on vapes and concentrates, uh, we're well represented on edibles. And you start getting below those larger categories, Bruce, and the, and the size of the categories become rather small. So when you talk about this assortment architecture, there goes also the thought of shrinking down the number of products that we have. Because if, if a category is 3% of the total, 
we don't want five different brands in that sliced into yeah. that curry. We may want a couple that we can lean in hard with. So, yeah, but I'd say that across the board, we're pretty well represented every day and every week. We spend time on, on this strategy and we'll continue to as we go through 21. But we'd like to think that that's really going to be the difference between herbal and, and others is, is our, the strength of our catalog and the brands and the execution in which we get it to market. Yeah. And in terms of the retailers, the dispensaries that you work with, any, any strategy that you're using in terms of which ones you, you know, focus on, provide you know, products to, any, any you know, specifics there that, that you've built a business around? You know, we took an approach from day one where we wanted to be in the market because as a distributor, it's really important we take that catalog and the promise to our brand partners is to be out there and saying we can we can penetrate the market right so we got we're in about 99% probably of 98% of the total market in California and then you know from there so that's good you create that business relationship and maybe there's a brand or two or three that that you're selling to that then the next step of that is really the phase we're in which is penetration within. So the the next stage is really once you build that relationship and have a link between yourself and the dispensary partner, really leaning and saying, how can we now help you with our assortment? Or is there something in our assortment that we're, that we don't have that we can help you with? So really it's a, it's a one by one relationship of trying to really build that partnership between the dispensary partner and us in having the right products, because what we think is the right products is, is great, but it's more importantly is what does the market think are the right products? So that's really what we, uh, what we use those relationships for. Yeah. I'm curious on, um, you know, kind of the logistics front. I mean, it's obviously, you know, complicated for any distributor dealing with lots of products in an industry, you know, keeping track of things, organizing things. You know, in this in this case, we're dealing with cannabis, you know, in terms of, you know, the licensing and the security and, you know, how, tell me a little bit about the complications or, or what you've had to do to, you know, legally hold these products, you know, transport these products effectively. You know, obviously there's lots of concerns in the cannabis world of, of transporting cannabis. You're dealing with a a very expensive or a very high value product. How has this shaped out for you? I mean, what is what does it look like from a logistics point you know, of view? I, w- I would start in a macro view, Bruce. Um, uh-huh. I've been in supply chain for 30 years. And I thought before I came to cannabis that I had a pretty good understanding, even at a very scaled, you know, when I left UNFI and 2010, we were closing in on $5 billion in revenue. And yeah. we had, you know, facilities across the country and 5,000 people. So I thought I've seen something complicated. We had 25,000 SKUs in each of our buildings uh, or more and, uh-huh. you know, all perishable. So I thought, honestly, that I saw the, the most difficult part of distribution and supply chain. And then I came to cannabis and then we started Herbal. And the team that uh, I was really fortunate to wrap around me is probably the most amazing team I've ever been part of. And we've all have deep, deep experience in supply chain. And we have a bit of a hybrid team where we have some folks who deep, deep understanding of of California cannabis uh, and been in the business for many, many years. And this became very quickly, we all learned together that this was the hardest thing we've ever done. And, you know, to, to tease that out and say, why would that be, right? It's not even close to from a scale perspective of what we all experienced. And it's we're only in one state. Uh, we only have 35 plus trucks. So why? what makes it so darn hard, right? Start at the basics, right? I mean, the, the security and the transport and, and that aspect of it is very different than anybody's ever dealt with. Mm-hmm. Throw cash into the mix, which that's not, you know, we literally had to, yeah. we had to write a cash management program. I mean, 
we and that's that's the whole industry obviously has to have a cash management program throw in the regulatories and, and all the different things and all the changes that continue to occur so you think you've you've got everything you know one way and then it changes so and then just you know look at it as this is all new to everyone you know someone asked me the question you know a similar question to you and I said you know this has never been done before to be clear um, yeah. this is the biggest cannabis market in the world no one's ever scaled to where herbal has scaled which means we're knocking down trees to build the road right so we can knock down the trees and then pave the road and then drive trucks on the road type of thing so yeah. it's been a really you know significant learning and the two and a half years we've been in business that's really where we've been fortunate where we've we have this hybrid team of folks who really understand the industry and then folks who really understand scaled supply chain yeah and how have the um, kind of regulatory sort of uh, the environment that you're operating in how has that affected the business in terms of you know, things keep changing. I mean, I remember sure. the, 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 what the regulations are, how they get implemented, who's enforcing them. You know, like how, how has that played out for you on the distribution side? You know, we've got a, a fantastic compliance team uh, who does a great job. But it's, you know, again, you look at it and say, well, should this be a lot easier than, you know, food distribution? And shouldn't be this less expensive? And, you know, on the surface, you would think, yes. Uh, the problem is the regulatory environment where we take stuff in and each case has to be touched and labeled, etc. That's not typical. Typical in my past life, we could take a, you know, a five foot high pallet of a product, put a license plate label on the bottom right hand corner and move that pallet into inventory. This is, we have to touch every single one of those boxes on every single one of those pallets. So, and that's all got to do with regulatory and track and trace. And I would say that, you know, thankfully we have a great team and, and we're, you know, we've been super compliant from day one and, the, the challenge is we don't, you know, we're trying to also predict what's next and we're constantly looking, saying, how does, how does some of the upcoming changes impact our operation and, and let's make those modifications and as we, as we speak. So it's, it's super challenging. It's super challenging for everybody and every part of the supply chain. And frankly, again, back to brand new. I, I, I got to, you know, no one's ever done metric in track and trace in distribution in or in supply chain, you know, for, for everyone um, in California ever. So it's it's a learning for all of us. Thankfully, it's, a you know, we really have some folks who are great to work with both on the dispensary partner side and the brand partner side. And we solve a lot of this together, you know, and that's really the, the been the, yeah. you know, the program so far. Yeah. So you, you mentioned this kind of a. Uh, you know, expanding and growing and knocking down trees and paving roads and, um, you know, that, that stuff, to money. <laughs> all this. I mean, I'm curious on the, uh, you know, where do you find the capital to, uh, to expand this? What have been the capital needs? Where have you gone? Is it, you know, mostly equity? Are you debt? I mean, how, how sure. have you found the capital markets? Yeah, we are a, um, we have no debt in the company. Thankfully, uh, we have done, um, a few series of equity rounds. You're right. It is expensive. You know, we've had to build an entire infrastructure, we put in world-class tech using Blue Yonder software, which is software that's running the you know the largest supply chains in the world. So we've had we've done a lot of things to build a really strong foundation, and we've we've had to do that honestly through equity raises. And that's been a you know you add to the challenge of cannabis and say if we had a, a business that was going to grow as fast as ours in such an exciting time in a legal environment, any business that was not you know deemed federally illegal, I think I would have had a pretty easy time you know on the road so to speak raising that capital. And, and cannabis, especially four plus years ago when I started raising capital, 
it was far from that. You know, people have told me that maybe, especially back then, maybe 1% of available capital would invest in cannabis. So yeah. the whole, you know, the, the entire, the ecosystem of, of can, you know, of capital was, was really difficult just as a start. So it was a, uh, it's been a real journey and a learning on the, on the capital raise side. We've, we've raised probably close to $50 million to date. We will, uh, we'll continue to keep the business properly capitalized to do all the things that are in our strategy ahead. And, you know, we've been very fortunate. We have some great capital partners who've supported us from, from early and have continued to do so as we uh, have grown the business. Yeah. And in terms of growing the business, I mean, you mentioned that you're, you're in California right now, obviously you can't cross these state lines with the, with this product. So it's not like you can use your existing facilities to start servicing other states. How have you kind of thought about, how have you executed on expanding uh, to other states? What's been the strategy? Like what's your thinking around this? Yeah, a lot of thinking. (laughs) (laughs) You know, from early on, I'll say that when we were building the strategy to start the company, uh, one of our strategies was California only, distribution only, until further notice, meaning that in itself we knew was a tremendous amount of work and we had a a lot of learnings ahead to do that. So since we launched in August of 18, that entire time has been used at refining our model, learning what we're not so good at, what we're pretty good at and what we're great at. And obviously all those things that we're not great at focused on them to pull them up to great. We really had to get to that point, Bruce, as a company. So we had to build out the infrastructure, put in the world-class tech, put in a world-class team, have these you know, fantastic SOPs that are repeatable and proven, then repeat what we're doing. And that's where we're at now. You know, We finally reached a point in the last, honestly, it was towards the end of 2020, where we could all look at each other and say, in 21, we'll be ready to repeat this and, you know, repeat it really, really well. So as we, you know, the timing of that works out pretty interestingly, right? As you yeah. as you look at what's ahead and what's maybe happening and, you know, at a federal level. But today, you know, we look at the the rest of the, of the country very similar as we looked at California, you know, originally, which is in a very state by state basis. You know, what's interesting about distribution is there's this, I think there's a misunderstanding of what federal legality means, meaning even UNFI in a clearly a completely legal business, we didn't ship from Connecticut to Missouri, right? We had facilities around the country to service the market. Distribution is not something you do from, you know, again, going coast to coast back to my roots in New England. I'm not shipping from here to Boston, Mass. Yeah. Um, if I am, it's a trucking move and someone else is going to distribute from there. You know, so yeah. as a distributor, we look at the map saying, where do we need to be? When do we need to be there? How well does our model fit into the regulatory scheme in that particular state, et cetera, et cetera. If you follow the alcohol model, which I've studied significantly, that's a state by state model in a highly regulated industry as well. Right. And I my gut is from a brand perspective, and this is an opinion, of course, nothing to back it up yet. But in my opinion, I can definitely see brands being, um, you know, take Jack Daniels in the alcohol industry clearly is served throughout the country. Right. But the distributor doesn't ship it from Tennessee. The manufacturer ships it to distributors around the country. And so we view the map like that, where we see herbal in a number of places throughout the country, you know, strategically. And now if it ends up a state by state business, like from a distribution perspective, like alcohol, we're more than prepared. And I think best prepared of anyone in the country today to do that. If it's something where we can jump state lines and there's trade agreements between the states, then we'll probably design it that way. But I don't see there's there really is a misunderstanding 
understanding that federal legalization means we ship from California to we distribute to somewhere else. You know, that's yeah. that can only happen if UPS and FedEx and USPS can move cannabis. And I think we're a minute from that. <laughs> well, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, where what has been most interesting for you as you, as you look at kind of the the I mean, the recent um, election cycle brought a couple more states online. We've got a change of administration. I mean, what's your kind of posture at this point in terms of, you know, what might be happening in the regulatory side and how is that kind of affecting things? You know, we're playing it as though we don't know the answer, right? Yeah. Because we don't. But when I say playing it, we're playing it as though if federal legalization happens in the next couple of years, we will be beyond prepared for that moment. In absence of that, we are we are going forward with a strategy that really is is assuming that does not happen. The two do end up weaving in the future. So we're kind of like looking at it in, through a lens of if it happens, we'll be perfectly poised. If it doesn't, we'll be in a state by state basis supporting the biggest markets. You know, clearly for us, distributors and aggregate business. So we're not going to go into a small state with a limited licenses with, you know, I'm making numbers up but with, that has 50 retail doors doesn't probably need a distributor just yet, right? So we'll be looking at the bigger states with the bigger opportunities. And should federal legalization happens, we will be extremely well poised to act on that. Yeah. And if I were to give you a magic wand and you could change any one thing about kind of the cannabis industry right now, what would you change and why? The first thing I'd change is 280E. You know, we are, <laughs> we are, yeah. if, for those on, uh, who are listening, don't know what 280E yeah. is. It's basically a, a penalty tax code on a cannabis business for being in cannabis. So pretty interesting. Um, the government collects the money um, from an illegal business, federally illegal business, but they penalize cannabis businesses with a with with something called 280E, which is essentially summarized as uh, a cannabis business doesn't get anywhere near the deductions of a normal business. Therefore, our effective tax rate as a business is is grotesque yeah. and really, frankly, non sustainable. If 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 280E doesn't get solved, nothing gets solved. The industry is going to really struggle. The, the you know the bet has been that it gets solved. It's been clearly my bet for five years now. Yeah. But I, I think that people talk clearly, you know, safe banking, huge, getting cash out of there. That's another, you know, really, really important one for sure. And I'd, I'd say the third, you know, my, again, opinion is that federal legalization can come in a lot of forms and, and not all of them are necessarily good. So we, we're going to have to watch closely on uh, what that means. Yeah. Michael, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Herbal, what's the best way to get that information? So www.herbalherbl.com is our website. Uh, you can also find us at Herbal Solutions on LinkedIn. And uh, Bruce, I really appreciate the uh, opportunities I said at the beginning. Yeah, no, this is great. I'll make sure all those links and info is in the show notes so people can get that. Yeah, Michael, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Awesome. Thanks again. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.